All right. Welcome to HGC this morning. If you can hear me and you're out in the foyer, come on in. We're going to get started uh, this morning. I'm very excited and thankful that you're here, by the way. We love you and appreciate worshiping with you each and every Sunday and coming in uh, to hear the word of the Lord. As always, it is a, a privilege and an honor uh, to be in this spot, to be able to walk through God's word, and so thank you uh, for allowing me to do that, uh, the time to study this week and to spend time in these couple verses uh, has been very good for me, and so I appreciate that opportunity, and then I also appreciate the opportunity to, to share my thoughts that God has laid on my heart with you. So thank you, and uh, I'm excited. It's, it's a good one. It's, uh, I'm, I'll, let me just set the tone for you. It's going to be a wild ride this morning, I think, for myself. Um, we're going to talk about, we're talking about kids in general. Um, children in general, and I have four beautiful ones, and um, they invoke a lot of emotion for me, uh, and so we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, I'll just ask you to bear with me. So, um, Lacey and I just celebrated 13 years of marriage in, in July, which is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've made it that long, and we're looking forward to many, many more years. Uh, we went on a little trip for, for this one. We actually got some babysitting, and we went away to Michigan, and it was awesome. It was awesome to be uh, out of the out of the routine of life, uh, away from the from the kids for a little bit, just enjoy each other. Um, it was a really really cool experience. Uh, and then secondly, God revealed something to me on that trip um, that I I truly believe that has has eternal impact for me. Um, and I I don't know what it was if it was you know, playing golf with her on Saturday morning and it just being very serene and not Stephen, um, but very, very good looking um, and, and just quiet. Or if it was sitting on that, we had kind of like an Airbnb that was out of the city and, and there was just farmland all around and sitting on the front porch in a rocker uh, or just my time alone with him. But I really, truly believe that God was telling me that that. Uh, me being an emotional reactor is harming my family, and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be an emotional reactor. And uh, for some of you that know me, um, you know that's probably pretty darn easy for me because uh, I'm not passionate at all about anything, and I keep all my opinions to myself. Um, it's just how God wired me. I'm a passionate, very passionate person. When it, whether it comes to electrical distribution, and that's what I do for my everyday nine-to-five job, I, I love it, and I get passionate about it. And I think that I sell the best equipment that there is to have, and I can get, I'm an early adopter. So if, if that's what I'm on, on, on board with, that's what I'm in for. Uh, or that comes to my family, and having kids, and, and uh, loving my wife, or Jesus and being passionate about how he saved me and he uh, redeemed me to his own. It plays itself out in good ways. It also plays itself out in bad ways because I am very passionate. Sometimes my opinions around the house become very well known and I make them very well known in very explosive ways sometimes. So I'm sorry, I'm just being vulnerable. Um, 
this type of behavior has, has caused harm to my family. It, sometimes, it, I, sometimes I scare my kids. Sometimes I react in ways that hurts my wife's feelings. Sometimes I respond in ways that let my, let my opinions be too well known. Sometimes I have opinions on things that I shouldn't have opinions on, that I should just, just be quiet, you know, and, and let it be. But um, since then, God has given me several opportunities <laughs> in order to exercise this newfound faith that I need to have by not emotionally reacting to situations. So I'll give you one example. We embarked on a trip to St. Louis at the beginning of September for Labor Day. Uh, my sister and her husband adopted a child, so that's awesome. I'm super thankful for that. And we got a new niece into the family. And um, I'll just affirm that anything you know about adoption and how cool you think it is, it is that cool. So we got to go to court and see that whole experience, and that adoption process is pretty awesome. So we went to St. Louis. Anyway, on the way there, it is uh, Friday morning at 8.30, and Lacey calls me and says, Van's running really, really rough, like really rough. I don't know if I'm going to make it home. And I'm like, well, what's it doing? She's like, man, the check engine light's on, the battery light's on. And I'm just like, okay, stop texting me and just get home. So she gets home, and I put my code reader on the van, and it it's, gives me some, some car code that says it's a uh, crankshaft position sensor. And me and all of my wonderful car knowledge, I said, hey, Google, what is a crankshaft position sensor? <laughs> um, and so a short time later, uh, with, that, with the code num- number and that information, I knew what it was, and I knew where I could get the part. And I said, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. So 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm supposed to go to work, by the way, not be working on my car. We were going to leave at noon. I'm supposed to be at work. Anyways, I get the part. I go to AutoZone. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more detail about this story just because I, I want you to see. I just want you to see God work. So I get to AutoZone, and, and Wednesday I did uh, an oil change on the van to get ready for the trip, and it was my last point on my AutoZone rewards card uh, to get my next $20 free. So I went to go get this part. Guess how much it was? 20 bucks. Exactly. So I paid the tax. It was $1.93 or something like that. I get the crankshaft position sensor. I go home. The sensor is on the backside of the engine under the exhaust, and I have really fat, chubby fingers. And so I'm, like, literally trying to get this thing out. It's connected by one, one bolt, and it's about yay long, and it slides, like, almost inside the engine block. Somehow, in like an hour and a half, I get this project done. And all, I, just, I just told Lacey, before I went to AutoZone, I said, hey, we just need to start praying now. Like, these are the moments. These are the moments where I lose it. And so I just need some help. So she prays. I go, man, $1.70. Cents. Uh, we come home. We get it changed out. And... After I get it changed out, lo and behold, the check engine light goes off, running like a champ. So we go, and we go pick up the kids. By this time, it's about that time. So we go, I think we grab something to eat. We pick up the kids. Battery light comes on. And I'm just like, hold up. We already took care of this. We go by AutoZone. I'm like, hey, just before we get on the road, let's just hit up AutoZone and make sure we're okay. They put the little charger things on the battery. As you can see, I'm really well-versed in cars. They put those things on the batteries, and, uh, and he's like, oh, well, it, I'm not even going to put these on here because look at your battery terminal. My negative battery terminal had, like, corroded away, and there's, like, no connection on there anymore. 
And so he's like, no problem. Big fix, four bucks, right? We get a battery terminal. He even does it for me in the AutoZone parking lot. He gets done, turn it on, no battery light. St. Louis, here we come. So we're like in Gas City, right? And I'm working on, I didn't work all morning, so I'm on my, on my phone and on my uh, computer, and I got my headphones in, and I'm cranking out the work. We're just, I'm just doing it, and all of a sudden, I, he, I feel no more air conditioning. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I shut my laptop real quick, and I just start hollering orders. I'm like, turn this off. We're, I'm turning off every piece of electrical thing, all the air conditioning. No, she wants to turn on the hazards. I'm like, don't turn the hazards on. You know, and so she doesn't turn on the hazards. And I'm like, you need to get over. We're, it's like two-lane construction traffic right in Gas City. There is no shoulder, nowhere to pull off. This is where I lose it, right? We get off of the highway. I'm just like, just find the gas station. You know, we'll figure it out. We get to the gas station, and there's nothing. There is no tools. There is no, there's no auto zone. There's, there's nothing that is going to help me. So I asked the people in there, I was like, where can I find some help? Where's in, where's in there's auto zone? They're like, five miles in town? Doesn't exist. Town is like a 40-people thing. And it's like five miles in town. So I get in the car, and we start driving. And I remember, <laughs> I remember telling Lacey, I looked over to her, and I said, I just need you to pray for me. I said, because I think God's, he's teaching me something here. I, I know that, but I can't handle much more. And like emotion, like like want to cry, but I'm going to be a man about this. And, and I'm just like, I, I'm just so, I just can't, I can't handle anymore. I'm just desperate for just some help. I mean, it's been a morning and we've done so, I, this is what I was feeling. I've done so good and this is how you're going to, wait a minute. That's not how it works either. So we get to AutoZone. <laughs> we pull in the AutoZone's parking lot. I finally shut it off. It's a gorgeous day outside. The kids walk two, do- two doors down to a McDonald's, and I go into AutoZone. And I said, look, I just need some help. I don't know what's going on with my car. This, the battery light's on again. It's going to die. We're an hour away from home. They come out. They put the things on the charger or on the battery, and it says the battery's so low we can't even test it. This is what we need you to do. Let's just get the battery out. We're going to start charging the battery. We'll charge it up, and maybe you can get home on that battery power if your alternator's good. If your alternator's bad, then we're okay. Why don't you go ahead and rip out your alternator? Mind you, I am an hour away from home with no tools, and I'm just like, it's all good, Lord. Like, we got this thing. And so... Mind you, this is where I lose it, but I didn't lose it. I, so I get some, they, I'm like, hey, can I just borrow some tools? I borrow some tools. I rip out the alternator. It goes, sup- the alternator's on top of the engine block. It goes super easy. I get the alternator out. I go and give it to them, and I say, hey, uh, w- what's going on with this thing? And they bench test it. Guess what? It fails. Guess what? I bought the alternator from AutoZone like three years ago. And so they're like, hey, did you replace this? And I said, yes, I did. And they said, okay, well, let's look it up. Boom. They look up my number, free alternator. They hand me the alternator and say, go put it on. I put it on. The car starts up. The battery lights off. There's no check engine light. I walked into McDonald's, and I'm just like crying. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's been a morning. And I was just so, de- I was so desperate for help. I was so dependent on Jesus in the moment. I just like... I can't do this. I literally emotionally cannot handle this. I just need your help. And he was faithful. 
It is hard to be reliant on other people, let alone on God as an adult. It is hard in those moments for me not just to try to take everything in my own control and just fix it right now or fix it the way I think it should be fixed or handle it the way I think I should be handle it or just emotionally blow up and say, why is this happening to me? Why am I being so tested time after time? And I truly believe that after my experience with the Lord in Michigan and uh, this experience here, that no matter what would have happened in that circumstance, no matter if the alternator wasn't free, no matter if the alternator didn't work and I had to go back to Fort Wayne, I would have handled that situation with thanksgiving. And not because of me, but because of what he did in me. He changed my heart and allowed me to see that, hey, it doesn't matter. I got you. Even in a very, very little situation, a very little situation where God has my back and he has protected me. It's hard for us to be reliant. It is easy for us to do it on our own. But we feel that way because our society teaches us that as we grow older, that we become more independent, that we do more things on our own. And that is very true. And that's how we grow up as adults. However, with spiritual maturity, oftentimes it is contrary to that and that it becomes more of a dependent situation on him. And when we realize that, then we are able to grow in our spiritual maturity. I cannot fix my explosive reactions that harm my family. We cannot fix our broken hearts. We cannot beat our own addictions. We cannot get rid of our sinful desires and we cannot change our hearts. But I know someone who can. And I know someone who wants to. And so let me show you and, and allow you some insight into what God has revealed to me in this text this week. God, we come to you thankful for your faithfulness. We come to you thankful that you love us and that we are your children. We come to you thankful that you show us your truth and your word. And I pray that this morning that you would do that. I pray this morning that you would speak mightily from your word to these people, Father, that you would remove any part of me and allow your word to be spoken with truth. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, and we worship you and we exalt you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me this morning as we read God's word out of Mark 10, 13 through 16. It says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for for to such belong the kingdom of God." Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Amen. You can be seated. What we're going to do this morning, uh, I love the opportunity to preach on on a small section of scripture. And what we're going to do this morning is instead of uh, breaking the scripture down and then trying to give an application and breaking the scripture down and trying to get the application. Uh, I'm just going to tr- break the whole three verses or four verses down. And then uh, after I do that, we're going to take some, some uh, uh, exp- life experience and, and, and try to give uh, some application to it. 
So what happens here, just to remind you where we're at in the text, is that Pastor Nate walked us through last week uh, marriage and, and divorce and what God thinks about that. And he uses that text, and Pastor Nate so eloquently showed us that, that really that text is about the sanctity of marriage. It's the preservation, it's the holiness that God has set apart, uh, what we believe is a union between a man and woman, uh, to be, and that is a presentation of the gospel. It's a, it's a, uh, the gospel on display for people to see that a man would come in and depart his father and mother and love that spouse and wash her in the word and that the woman would love her husband. And that type of relationship is a picture of the gospel. And then we have two real big, overarching, illustrative movements in scripture and that one is of marriage and then the other one is father and children because that's what we that's kind of what we see and there's some other other illustrations in the word uh, that talk about that but these are two big ones that are thematic throughout scripture whether it's talking about the bride of christ or whether it's talking about god and his children and he's done that several times in the book of mark kind of bouncing back and forth between uh, adults and children and adults and children. And here we are, we're talking about uh, children again. And seemingly as, as Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about divorce and what that means and protecting the, the, the uh, sanctity of marriage, at the same time, pick up in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. So while this is going on, he's, ta- he's talking over here about uh, divorce and remarriage. There's droves of people. And, and if we break this down and we look at two verbs, bringing and rebuked, they're both in the same tense, meaning they kept doing something. It was an ongoing process. They kept bringing and they kept rebuking. And sometimes you can even, the, the scholars would say that it was the same people. So like it's like, I kind of imagine this huge line of people and they're coming to Jesus and they're like, no, he's too busy for you. He's whatever excuse they want to give. He, they leave and they just go to the end of the line. And then the next person comes and they're like, no, 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 no. So they kept coming and they kept rebuking. The word rebuke, epitomeo in the Greek gives this sense of, of an unjust or an ineffectual rebuke. So there's a couple different words that they were used for rebuke in the New Testament. However, this one just describes a failed attempt at a rebuke. Hey, it wasn't very good. Right? How do we know that? Because they kept bringing them. We say no, and then they just go to the end of the line. We say no, and they come back. It's ineffectual. They kept rebuking. It's unjust. It's ineffectual, right? And this goes on for who knows how long. And they want to bring them to Jesus because why? They want him to touch them. This idea of touch, they kept bringing him to touch them, is a custom uh, uh, that we see throughout Scripture and has roots as far back as Genesis 48. If you look at Genesis 48, 14, and 15, it says, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and the left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. 
There's some implications there that we won't go into. And he blessed Joseph and he said, this, The God before my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And he, he, he blesses those children and he says, these, these will go out and they will do mightily for the Lord. This idea comes from a long time ago, and such benedictions, it seems, were commonly obtained by parents for their children from the rulers of the synagogue. And here is Jesus, greater than any local synagogue ruler, and they're just bringing their kids to be blessed and be touched by Jesus. Now, I don't want to rabbit trail too far, but I didn't even know that Travis was giving an announcement on child dedication. How awesome is that? But we're getting ready to dedicate children. And this is exactly what's happening, is we're bringing children before the congregation, before the family, to say, hey, look, I have a child. Here he is. Here she is. I need help. I'm saying to you, I want to raise this child in the way of the Lord. And I need you to help me raise this child in the way of the Lord. And so bringing the child before the church now is bringing the child before Jesus and kind of like a marriage ceremony, right? We're, we're covenanting together to do life. That's what a baby dedication is, is bringing a child up and saying, I'm dedicating this child to the Lord and I'm covenanting with you, my church family, to hold me accountable to raise this child in the nurture and ammunition of the Lord. All right, we're back. They're bringing, the disciples are rebuking, and Jesus sees out the window. I don't, that's not in the text, but that's what I kind of picture. He sees out the window. And he says, hey, 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 what are you doing? Do not do that. But Jesus saw it. He was indignant. I love that word. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Jesus saw this, and he becomes indignant. Our word for that is showing anger or annoyance. Our definition for that word is anger or annoyance. And that's probably true. He was probably angry and annoyed. Hey, what are you doing? However, this word has much more spiritual connotation behind it in this context. And we not only know that this is a biblical emotion because Jesus exhibited it, but we also have 2 Corinthians 7 which Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, look, I, I know I made you mad with my last letter. It upsets you because I called you out on your sin. And this is what it caused, godly grief. And godly grief leads to repentance, and that is a healthy feeling. It also says that they felt indignant towards their own sin. That the Corinthians were like, or he, Paul writes and says, I know that you felt these ways. You were frustrated, you're mad, you're angry, you were indignant towards your own sin, but this type of indignation is a good thing because it causes you to repent. It causes you to understand and be frustrated about the sin within your own life, and it is godly thing that, me, that leads to repentance. Now, this type of indignation that Jesus explains here, that Jesus feels when he uh, uh, has this, is not an indignation that causes him to repent because we know that Jesus is sinless. He doesn't have to do those things. But this type of indignation that he shows to the disciples as he walks out the door, he says, hey, don't do that. They obviously knew he was annoyed. They could probably tell by the tone of his voice. The author 
specifically says it, this type of indignation is, is meant to lead them to repentance. For them to understand, whoa, wait, we're doing something wrong. We need to evaluate and change. And then he says, look, let them come to me. I'll show you how to change. Let them come. Don't hinder them. They belong to me already. When he says that, he's, that, that they don't need to hinder them, he explains his displeasure in the situation and then he says, don't hinder them. Don't keep them from coming to me. Don't leave them behind or neglect them is where the root of the word comes from. Jesus is not only saying to permit them to come, but don't get in the way. Don't stand in the way of the kids coming. I think that is a, a very interesting point to not to say, let them come, but also to not do anything to cause them from coming. And then he says in 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like this, like a child shall not enter it. And he takes them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. The reception of the kingdom is a reference to the gospel and our faith in it. And he says, look, hey, here's the deal. If you don't accept the kingdom, if you don't believe in me, whose story is continuing to unfold. And remember, this is a big push as Jesus' earthly ministry is wrapping up and he's leading them to the cross to show them their salvation. He says, if you don't receive the kingdom like this, you will not enter it. And he holds up a little child as a model of trusting, simple, and loving obedience for the disciples and for the other adults in the situation to emulate. It was a way to appropriate the salvation that God offers to the believing sinner. And then he takes each and every kid in his arms and he blesses them. And we see that, again, by the tenses of the verbs, he keeps, it's imperfect, he keeps on blessing them. It's singular, meaning he takes each kid up to himself, and he keeps on doing that. And that blessing comes with a huge push, a huge push to say this is a fervent blessing. This is something that Jesus is taking an incredible amount of joy in, and it doesn't matter how many kids are there, he's just going to keep taking them, and he's just going to keep blessing them because he loves it and because he loves to do so, because he loves his children. And so the disciples not only are told to let him come and get out of the way, but then they're forced to watch him as he takes these kids over and over, and then he lays his hands on them, and then he blesses them. With great joy, he completed that task. I mean, what an incredible passage that shows not only the the heart of Jesus, but it shows his desired heart for the disciples It shows his love for uh, the kids, for the children. And it certainly shows us a lot about how we need to receive the kingdom. And as I spent time with this text this week, my first thought is probably very similar if you're trying to predict what I'm going to continue to say to what you're thinking. Childlike faith, right? This is how we need to come and accept the kingdom. And there is some significant implication there, which we will talk about. 
But as I continued to spend time in the text, I think there's two significant, two significant illustrations and applications that we need to, to spend time looking at. One, these people were bringing, they were leading their children to Jesus. Jesus was speaking with Pharisees. These are very revered and important people in that day and age. These are the, these are the, the, the high and mighties, if you will, the rulers of the synagogue, the people who put themselves before the commoners and called themselves, we are set apart, we are holy. And there was a lot of reverence for them. Did that stop the people from leading their children to Jesus? Absolutely not. In addition, it didn't stop them because of who Jesus was. Jesus was this, this household name at this point. He traveled from city to city to city, healing and, 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 and teaching. And there was big crowds. But on the contrary, it was because of who Jesus is that they brought their kids to Christ. These people were leading their children to Christ. Are you bringing your children to Jesus? Am I leading my kids to Jesus each and every day? Am I taking them to to him for their problems? Am I fixing them on my own? Am I taking them to him for their concerns or cares? Or do I fix them on my own? Do I teach my children that it is him first and me second? Or do I teach them that it is me first and I fix? Because I'll tell you what, you're going to fail at some point because you cannot fix all. Only Jesus fixes all. Do we lead our children through prayer and scripture? We look at that and we'll use that as an example of a healthy parenting relationship. Am I leading my kids in prayer and the word? But are you also leading your kids in ministry and service? Are you teaching your kids how to serve the body? Are you teaching your kids how to serve the world? Are you teaching your kids how to be ministers in their own way? One of the the most effective uh, mentors that I had in my own life knew that I wanted to be a pastor when I grew up. That was was my goal, is I wanted to be in full-time ministry. And he kept asking me as a 14-year-old kid, how are you being a pastor now? You're in your school. You're in your youth ministry. You're, how, are you, how, are you, how are you pastoring right now? How are you ministering to people right now? And that is something that we can teach our kids. <clears throat> also, thank you so much. <laughs> I hate that. This looks very... Uh, Pretentious, in my opinion. I'm sorry. Fetch me a glass of water, Pastor Newt. Thanks, buddy. <clears throat> are we teaching them in that way? And then lastly, through example and teaching. Are, are you teaching your kids by just living your life as, as an example of what the Christian life should look like? Are you in your Bible every day? Are you praying? Are you praying with your kids? We, my, my wife and I do a fantastic job at praying with our kids every night. I, I will tell you that. We're, we're really good at that. 
every night we go with our kids and we pray with them. I don't tell you that out of boasting. I tell you that out of that's what the Lord has led us to do. However, we've been convicted lately. We don't pray with our kids. We don't pray with our kids. We let them pray. We let them pray at mealtime. But I don't pray. They, they rarely, rarely hear me pray. Because I spend my time praying with my community group or with my wife or with my friends, with the elders. They don't hear me pray. So we've been convicted. Now we go up and we've changed bedtime routine a little bit. They pray, we pray. Right? They hear us pray. Are we leading by example? <clears throat> Are we teaching them the word? Are you spending enough time in God's word to be able to share with them what God's laying on your heart? Don't have kids? Some of you in here don't have kids? You are not out of the woods. Please listen to me. You have extended family. You have nieces and nephews. You have grandchildren. You have brothers and sisters in some cases that are much younger than you or a little bit younger than you. The disciples had an opportunity to minister to those kids until Jesus was done with the Pharisees and could come and minister to them. But instead of ministering to them, they rebuked them. Those weren't their kids, but they had an opportunity to serve them like they were. You have family, you have friends. And then secondly, one of Pastor Nate's greatest statements, I think, this year in a sermon is that church is not like family. Church is family. Church is not like a family. It is family. And if you belong to this body and you say, hey, this is my home, then you have four daughters that have the last name Taylor. And I need help raising those girls. Lacey and I need help raising those girls. And you have a responsibility as a church family to help those who do have biological children or adopted children. They are your kids too because you call this home and you call this family. This is why we do child dedication for people that come up and say, this child is now a part of this family and I am dedicating them to the Lord and I need your help. We need people to lead children to Jesus. And this is why, this is going to sound very finger pointy, and I don't mean it that way. This is why we should never, ever, ever have a gap in children's ministry. We should never be fighting for volunteers in children's ministry. And yet most churches across the country are fighting for volunteers in children's ministry. Why? Because they are annoying Kids are annoying, and they take a lot of time, and it's really hard to get. I'm sorry, kids. I love you. (laughs) They're all looking. It's like a whole section over here, and they just got their jaws on the floor. I love you very much. They're lovely, and they need people to lead them to Jesus, and it is our call as a church to do so. And sometimes we miss opportunities and we miss blessings. But we need help with our babies because, one, I know that I cannot give them everything they need. One, they need Jesus first. And two, I need people around me that can show them Jesus in a different way than I can. 
because I'm not perfect. And so they need to see Jesus from you, and they need to see how you serve the church, and they need to see how you love their parents, and they need to see how you love them. And when they see that, they just get to see a picture, a better picture of who Jesus is. And if we don't have the volunteers down there to do it, we're missing out on what God has called us to as a church. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Because even worse than not leading our children to Jesus is are you a rebuking disciple? Are you a hindrance to them coming to Jesus? And oh boy, did I spend some time reflecting on this one this week. This is rough to process through. But for me, my kids have often been in the way. They've often taken away from my ability to minister, not given me a boost to minister or given me a place to minister. They've just been a liability. Teaching them anything. You teach your kid, they, they, they want to wash the car with you on a Saturday. How long is that going to take, man? I mean, they can't even operate a hose. You know? Dad, let me, let me do that project with them. Heaven forbid they want to paint your house. I mean, it's just going to take three times as long and ten times as messy and a 100 times as frustrating. Right? I was convicted, let alone teaching them about something spiritual. Ah, they're just too small. I'll teach them when they're older. They can't really understand yet. What I'm doing right now, it's not going to affect them in their adult life. These types of hindrances, these things that get in the way of our children coming to know him, what I was encouraged with is what we see in Scripture about parenting. I'm not going to read all of these verses. I don't have time. If you want to write them down or I can send them to you afterwards, I'm going to go through them really fast. Parents must teach God's truth. Deuteronomy 4, 9 and Deuteronomy 32, 46. Parents must lovingly discipline children because they're immature and they need guidance. Proverbs 22, 15 and 29, 15. That's that spare the rod, spoil the kid. Make sure they get some, some beatings in there. Just kidding. Parents should not exasperate their children. Don't annoy your kids. Don't cause them to stumble by your overbearing and controlling personality. Sorry, that's me. Parents, wise decisions bless, are a blessing to their children. Deuteronomy 30, 19, and 20. Parents who are godly teach their children to obey. Ephesians 6, 1 and 1 Timothy 3, 4. Parents who, are faith, who faithfully train their children can be confident that their efforts are not in vain. Proverbs 22, 6. What the Lord showed me in my weakest moments this week to say, oh, how am I a hindrance from my kids coming to Jesus? He said, look, 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 look. Don't focus on that. Let's focus on these things. Let's focus on how you should be leading your kids to me and less about how you're failing, and then we'll do it the right way. Because if I focus on how I fail, then I just get in this little bad cycle over here and I, I'm, I'm, I'm having a pity party and it's taken away from my kids. 
It's not encouraging me to lead well. It's just encouraging me to to self-loathe. And self-loathing is not rejoicing in Jesus. Self-loathing is prideful. So I have to stop thinking about how I'm hindering my kids and just start focusing on how I should lead my kids and that'll help me stop hindering my kids. I think it's best that we focus on these things so that we can get our kids led to Jesus instead of far from Jesus. All right. Lastly, the moment you've all been waiting for. As Jesus says that we need to receive his kingdom like a child, we should have a childlike faith, not a childish faith. Do you get the difference? Childish faith is selfish. It's demanding. It's arrogant. And you want your way all the time. A childlike faith is one that shows dependence on God. So I want to just take a moment to expound on that a little bit just from my own personal experience and how I've seen my kids exhibit this type of behavior. Also, that as I've gotten older, that I can see myself falling into this just a little bit more because I have a little bit more life experience. I have a lot of life ahead of me. However, being married helps. Helps you see your dependence, your need to lead your wife well. Uh, Having children also helps in that situation. Here's a couple of things that I've seen that I think we should model or emulate to have a childlike faith, to receive the kingdom like a child. Children are curious. They're very curious, and they ask a lot of questions. Maddie especially is very curious. She asks a ton of questions, a ton of questions, a ton of questions. Seemingly all she does. Man, they're just fine, and she's learning so much. And she, she does. She has a ton of knowledge because she asks so many questions, and she finds answers to them, and she goes and reads books, and she does little school reports now, and she asks her mom and her dad questions about life. And from a very young age, Maddie has had a very real sense of, of the spiritual realm. And she's asked a ton of questions about God and his love for her. And from a very, very young age, she has known her creator because she asks questions and she's curious about who he is and his love for her and his love for people who don't have what we have and those people who live on the street and, well, you know, why don't they have a home and why aren't they taken care of? And we've handled a lot of those hard and difficult conversations with her at a very young age because she's curious. And I think that is one of the things that we lose as we get more spiritually mature and we start to say, I, I've gone to Bible college, and I have done BSF for 37 years, and I have read all the way through the Bible 17 times, and I've been in my community group for four years running. And I, whatever you make yourself out to be, we start to lose our curious behavior. We start not asking questions enough. And I think that as young believers, we need to get that back and continue to ask questions. Ask those tough questions and go where? To his word and find those things. And not only the most important place, his word, to find those things, but each other. 
God has given us a family to do life with, to ask questions about, to get answers. Children are risk takers. They are risk takers. If they weren't, they would never walk. Right? It's a risk to get up those six inches and take those little steps and fall on their little behinds. But they do it over and over and over again. They would never climb on anything. They would never head towards the electrical outlets if they weren't risk takers. Right? Kenzie is our risk taker. If there is something to climb, if there is a new challenge to be had, she will do it, and most likely she will conquer it. How she operates. She will do it over and over again. And I remember two summers ago, we have a swing set in our backyard, and we have the little rings that, you're, that you can hold on to. She just couldn't reach the rings standing, so she had to jump. And I kid you not, she sat out there for maybe 15 minutes, jumping over and over and over. And she would jump sometimes, and she would grab it, and she would slip and, and stumble back. But that would not stop her. <laughs> she continued to jump and to jump and to jump. She continued to take the risk. And I remember the face when she got it. It was, it was the coolest thing. She jumped and she shocked herself. She grabbed it and she just like looked at me and she was like, oh, I got, like, I got it. I did it. And I was like, you did it. It was amazing. Over and over again until she did it. Now she climbs, literally not, not kidding, on top of the swing set. It is those type of risks that we kind of clam up about as we get older. We definitely don't take as many physical risks, right? My back hurts or my leg hurts. But even spiritual risks, we start to clam up a little bit. We say, ah, I'm safe in my community in HGC. I'm safe at, you know, my community group at this person's house at this time on this day. And I don't really want to upset the fruit basket in any way. And you know what? Once or twice a year, I'll share the gospel when the time is right and I've had long enough time to build the relationship and make a foundation where this person knows that I love them this much and then I'll share the God. Hey, y'all, that is not how it works. God is calling you each and every day to take risks in your faith. And that doesn't mean, I'm not talking about crazy stuff here, but I'm just talking about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your life and making sure that you're taking the risks that he's calling you to. Children are believers. Not in the like Christ follower type of sense. I mean, they, they can be and they are in some ways. But the, I'm talking about trusting, more trusting. They believe anything you say. I was convinced when I was a new dad, I really, really, this is messed up, but I really wanted to teach my kids that like red was blue and blue was red. Like and do like a little experiment. If I just taught them over and over again that red was blue and blue was red, then they would just grow up knowing, thinking that red was blue and blue was red. And they'd go to school and they'd be like, hey, do you know your colors? And they would be like, yeah, that's red. And it was really blue or blue and really red. That's messed up. <laughs> but I just, I, I knew I could do it because kids are, they're really believing. My kids, I have them fooled into thinking that I'm the strongest person on the face of the planet. I have muscles. Well, they're small, but I have them. They touch them, and they're like, oh, Daddy, you're really strong. Right? It's because it's what they see. It's what they, they believe. They will believe mostly anything. And we are called to be that same trusting, 
believing kid. When we read something in his true word and we can we trust the person that we're receiving the information from, not a bad dad who's going to teach their kids the wrong colors, but a good and loving heavenly father that says, here's my love letter to you. Here's what I want you to have. And you could take and you can learn from it and you can glean from it. Why don't we trust that? Why don't we trust his faithfulness? Why don't we know that our God is the strongest man out there? Why don't we live, and we prayed about it this morning, the resurrection power that we have that is sealed within us in the Holy Spirit. Why don't we believe in that and trust in that? Well, it's because we know better, right? It's because we know better, because we know that our children grow up to be teenagers. And teenagers now, they know everything, don't they? Right? They think they know everything. And then you get to college and you spend your half freshman year and you come away from half freshman year and you're just like, I am God's gift to life. I have studied in college. No. Because as we get older, instead of becoming more dependent on Jesus, we become more independent on ourselves. And sometimes that trickles into our spiritual life. That's not what we're called to. We are called to become children. Lastly, children are dependent. It is not hard when you become a, a mom or a dad for the first time or you go into a hospital and you visit someone who has just had a child that that child <laughs> is incredibly dependent. It just lays there and cries. That's all it does. It can't do anything for itself. It's fully reliant on you to meet its needs. That was weird to me. My wife had a C-section for Maddie. Left her almost immobile for like two days. And there was an incredible amount of need between her and between Maddie that I had to just attend to. And it was a lot. It was a lot of needs that needed to be met. And this is the type of dependence that God is talking about us having. It's not the type of dependence that like, hey, I can, I can do it this time or I can do it this way and maybe next time you could. It's, it is talking about being completely and wholly dependent on him. And in the van that day, as I'm traveling down to St. Louis and the battery light kicks on one more time, I felt that kind of dependence because my heart had changed towards my emotional reactions. And I said, look, my response in this type of situation is to emotionally explode. That way I get all of my little feelings out and I feel better or I make them feel bad and I feel better. And then, then I can start controlling the situation. This is what's going to happen right now. Or I can become completely dependent and say, I don't, have, I don't have anything left. I have nothing to offer in this situation. I just need this car to make it to the next place. And when I get it there, can we just deal with it then? It made it, it, made it, to, it made five more miles to AutoZone. I don't know how. It made it five more miles to AutoZone. I was just completely dependent in that situation for him to show up and be faithful. 
But as we get older, we think we know everything and we start thinking that we can do it better and we start coming up with these strategies of, about how to be married or how to parent or how to date or how to uh, lead a church or uh, how to work in the workplace. And instead of being reliant on God for His instruction and His uh, faithfulness, we start thinking that we can do it on our own. And sometimes we are our own biggest hindrance to coming to God as a child. Sometimes it's us. Because remember, we spent a lot of time talking about our little ones. However, you are his little one. And he wants you to come to him as a child. And so as we start thinking about how we're going to do whatever we're thinking about doing, we should be coming to Jesus as a child, knowing that he is the only one that we need. And he is the only one that they need. And so I'm, I'm going to play a song this morning. And <clears throat> music does something for me personally. I, I love it. I know music doesn't speak to everybody in the same way. Uh, but this song specifically uh, just shows us that our kids need Jesus first. Not mom and dad first. And so I just want you to listen to it and spend some time meditating on what our kids really need in light of the context this morning. <clears throat> 100 percent of the time I hear that song, I cry. <laughs> and that is just because it is just a reminder for me. I'm gonna fail my kids. And that used to be incredibly disappointing to me that I would fail them. It used to be incredibly sad to me. But however, it's not sad that I disappoint my kids because Jesus is the one they need. And it is in my weakness that he is made strong. That gives a whole new perspective to that because it's in my weakness that I used to think he was made strong for me. But even in my weakness as a dad, he's made strong for them. And I need that for them because I cannot be everything that they need. And it's this passage that continually reminds me of that. And it's not my weakness that I should wallow in. It is his strength that I should find rejoicing in and being able to, to lead my kids and not hinder them to come to Jesus. And I know, church, that this can seem difficult to hear what a huge responsibility that we have. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray for your kids right now. They're going to come in, and they're going to join you. And I just want you to hold them tight. And as you think about this responsibility, I want you to, one, be dependent on him to change your heart in the areas that are needed. I want you to be dependent on him like a child. Secondly, I want you to know that your kids need Jesus more than they need you. Listen, this reminds me, as your kids continue to talk and they have questions for you and what are we doing or whatever, I just want you to listen to me in the back of your head somewhere and take care of your kids because this is also a reminder that ministry is messy. Like, it's messy, and it's okay to have kids 
We pray at 9.15 every morning. And one of our fears as the leaders of this church is that you don't come and pray with us because you think that your kids will be a distraction. It is, that's on me too. I feel that way sometimes, that my kids are a distraction and a hindrance from others coming to know Jesus or coming to Jesus. Rather, they are a gift from God and we should let them and, and let them see us pray. So please come at 9.15 on Sundays to pray with your kids and let it be messy and let that be okay. We're not going to judge you if your kid's loud and obnoxious because my kids are the chief of loud and obnoxious. I want you to be dependent on God for the changes that need to happen in your heart. And I could tell you from experience that he will be faithful to do so. And then I want you to know that your kids need Jesus far more than they need you. We're going to sing a song now called Hold Me Fast. And that's exactly what we're asking God to do is that as life comes and we do things and we aspire to our kids growing up to be great and amazing people for him, that we can't do that, but that he will hold me fast to be a good dad, the best dad that I can, imperfect as he is, and then I will point my kids to Jesus and that he will hold my kids fast and he will make sure that they are taken care of and that the good work that he starts in them, that he will complete as he calls us home. And so what I want you to do is, for the first part of the song, is I just want you to pray with your kids. Is take time to reach over them and lay your hands on them and bless them. God has given you the ability to do that. If you don't have kids in here today, I want you to hook up with a family and lay hands on them and allow them to bless you as parents and bless these kids. And if you uh, uh, don't have um, any kids at all, maybe they're not with you today, but any kids at all, do the same. Just join up. If you have adult kids in here, pray for your adult kids. You never stop being mom and dad. My mom always tells me that. She's never going to stop being my mom. She always cares for me and always loves me. And you know what I cherish is that my parents pray for me diligently on a daily basis. So if you have adult kids, pray for them. Pray with them. Do that and Adam and Trisha will lead us in our last couple songs.